All right, the red light is on. Actually, I don't know if that portrays me as particularly <laughs> smart. Have you met my auntie, Pop? A lot's gonna come out in that trial. Yeah, we've had all sorts of shenanigans going on this week in the Congress. La Portada Podcast with Simon Hunter and Lily Mayers. No, that sounds weird. <laughs> Monkeypox. Is that an English thing? I've said, well, I've said oh, it already. Said I've said it already. Yeah, but we're, no, right. If they did, yeah. is that legal? Well, that's the next point. ¿Listos? Sí. Vamos allá. Buenos días, buenas tardes y buenas noches. Whenever and wherever you are listening, you are most welcome to La Portada, which is coming to you live on tape from Madrid. My name is Simon Hunter. I'm a British journalist based in Madrid and I'm here with my co-host Lily Mayers, an Australian journalist also living in the Spanish capital. And we are talking to you direct in your ears because we love Spain and we want to bring you the best stories, news and interviews from this fantastic country. We are here to read all the Spanish news so that you don't have to, which is really quite a service that we're providing. Welcome back, Lily. How are you this week? Hello. Hot. Yeah. Hot. <laughs> yes, more of that later. Um, thank you so much for the feedback uh, last week from our first episode. We got so many nice messages, including from some of our old podcast heroes uh, from my previous podcast, Ke, including the great Alan Jones, who tweeted, the mix of seriousness and levity is about right. A touch more serious than Ke, maybe. Well, you're probably right, Alan. That might be because we were... <laughs> we were a bit stressed out last week with the first one, weren't we? Because we're doing this all ourselves, so it's certainly uh, keeping us busy. Uh, but I promise you some more silliness soon, Alan. No problem there. Um, we also got words of praise from Guardian journalist Stephen Bergen, the independent correspondent Graham Keeley, our man in Marbella, Giles Brown, and many, many more uh, people. So thank you all for your kind words. But uh, the tweet that really jumped out at me, in fact, came from Brendy Boyle. He said, very enjoyable episode one, even in Spanish. There is a big gap for news podcasts that aren't just radio show playbacks, and I think that's really true. Yeah, but it's true though, isn't it? A lot of podcasts in Spain still haven't really grasped the format, and they just kind of dump their, you know, their morning radio show into a a podcast, which is uh, perhaps not the best approach. Um, Speaking of other podcasts, I forgot last week to say a massive thank you to Veronica Figueroa, our old producer at Ke. She gave me loads of advice when we were setting up this project. So thank you for that, Beryl. And thanks too for what I learned from you and Jose Juan Morales when I was at the other place when it comes to putting together a podcast. I uh, like that the other place is now something people are saying on Twitter. <laughs> a lot of people are asking about that. Yeah. So maybe my, you know, my promise of a chat about what happened at the other place. Uh, we, we'll just we... keep teasing that out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also this week, we're going to create a thread with links to stuff we've been talking about today on our socials. If you are wanting to read some of those lovely reviews or even leave one yourself, <laughs> um, our Twitter, Instagram and Facebook handles are at La Portada Pod. Yeah, actually. And also Lily Connor. Um, Make sure we actually remember to do that thing about the thread. (laughs) Connor, take a note, please. Uh, All right, so today, like everyone else in Spain right now, we're going to talk about the heat. Uh, We've got an interview with a Spanish cartoonist who has a lot to say about childcare in Spain. And we'll be running down the other stories that caught our eye this week, including monkeypox and COVID and the bizarre reappearance of Spanair napkins Mm. in a Barcelona kebab shop. Love that story. 
But first, Sunday is a big day in the southern Andalusia region, Spain's most populous. We have a regional election. So Lily, why don't you give us a little primer about what's to come this weekend? And also, I think you should tell us exactly what is a regional government responsible for in Spain's system of government. Sometimes it's a bit difficult to know exactly who has powers for what. It's certainly dominated the news cycle this week. There's been two debates, a lucky cow, photo ops with Obama and two (laughs) Vox car accidents. But we thought just in case our listeners are a little confused about the split between central and regional governments, let's talk about the government itself. So Andalusia covers eight provinces, Huelva, Sevilla, Cádiz, Córdoba, Granada, Málaga, Jaén and Almería. The regional government controls things like cultural affairs, tourism, transport, water management, sports, social welfare, hunting, housing, public works, environmental protection and health. They also operate their own parliament and government language and civil law and they set their own financial and economic managements. Nothing about masturbation there, no? We will come to that later. <laughs> oh my God, that just seems so random for you to ask if you don't know All the context. All will be explained. All will oh be explained. Oh my God. A little bit of history. The Socialist Party, PSOE, had comfortably governed Andalusia right from 1982 following the transition back to democracy all the way up to 2018 when the PP managed to form an alliance with the C's and Vox, giving them the majority to lead under Juan Moreno. Since then, the Premier has been viewed favourably in the role. He's had pretty good approval ratings, mostly thanks to the management of the pandemic and the vaccination campaign, among other things. In the lead-up to calling this election, disagreements had arisen with Vox, particularly around immigration. So the far-right party withdrew their support from the government last year and even rejected its 2022 budget. It was when the PP's new national leader, Alberto Núñez Fejo, came into the role in April that Andalusian Premier Juan Manuel Moreno finally announced that June 19th would be the date for the Andalusian election. Simon, elections on Sunday, what's been your take of the campaign? Yeah, well, I, I mean, as you mentioned, there, there have been a few bizarre moments in this uh, in this campaign, uh, as you as you would expect. Um, the well, actually one of the one of the big moments was when the far-right Vox brought in a far-right Italian politician, Giorgia Meloni from the Brothers of Italy party, who gave an absolutely unhinged speech <laughs> in Marbella. Sia la cultura la vida, no l'abismo la muerte. She was railing against LGBTQ plus collectives, abortion feminists and migrants. It was a sort of facha bingo. <laughs> um, then, of course, we had the debates, which I just, I find, I always end up mm. watching these political debates in Spain through my fingers. I just find them so excruciating cringe. to watch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the general consensus was that uh, Juan Manuel Moreno, the, the incumbent from the Popular Party, the current premier, he won the debate and the loser uh, was Macarena Olona from um, Vox. I mean, one of the big disappointments for me about Spanish politics is how little we actually ever hear about policies. It's mostly all just, uh, you know, mudslinging and left-right ideology. And there was certainly plenty of that going on at these debates. 
Um, it was interesting to see that some uh, the leftist politicians were making a big effort to call people out to vote because mm. historically in Spanish politics, the polls say the right will win. Leftist voters often stay at home and, you know, as always, turnout here is going to be um, key. So, yeah, as you mentioned, Lily, the polls are giving the PP a comfortable victory, but without a majority. And this is what we've been seeing in Spanish politics for years now. Long gone are those days when it was a two party system and power just shifted between the PSOE and the PP. Um, but the big question is, how is the PP going to form uh, a government? Mm. Uh, you mentioned um, Feijó, the uh, new national leader of the PP, who's proving to be a pretty disappointing figure. He was so impressive as the Galician premier, but he really doesn't seem up to the task in hand. And that task for him is to stop the flow of PP voters to Vox. That's what he's predecessor Pablo Casado was trying to do but you know again just had a very sort of mixed record with uh, with that challenge um, you know Vox has been on the rise for years now it's the third biggest group in the National Congress let's not forget after the um, PSOE and the PP um, and Fejo was really trying to lay the ground for a scenario um, where Vox is going to be the kingmaker, where Vox ha has the key votes for the PP to make a, to form a government. And he was actually calling on the PSOE, he was calling on the Socialist Party to support the PP to form a government and thus keep mm. Vox out. That wasn't something that the PP considered doing, however, after the 2018 regional elections in Andalusia, when the PSOE won the most seats at the election. At that point, the PP managed to form a government with the support of Vox and Ciudadanos. But the PSOE kind of flatly ruled that out on Thursday and the other leftist parties also are saying that they're not going to do that. The PP always love to crow about, it should be the most voted party that forms a government as long as it's them. That's <laughs> <laughs> the most voted party. If it's another party, they don't really want to know. And of course, we have already seen this year the first coalition government in a region in Spain between the PP and the far right Vox and that was in Castilla y Leon uh, in April that government was formed mm. um, now I d you know I've, I'm kind of loath to do this but I'm going to talk quite a lot about Vox um, and the Vox candidate Macarena Olona settle in big fan <laughs> fan Lily oh, <laughs> she gives me she gives me the heebie-jeebies there's something about something of the night about so many of the Vox politicians something of the night what yeah. does that mean <laughs> It's a great Is that phrase. An English saying? It's a great phrase that was once used about a British politician, and I feel it's very, um, very Something apt here. of the night that yeah. makes it sound a bit streetwalkery. <laughs> oh no, no, I mean, I would, I would never de no. deign to say that about. Uh, no, I'm not saying that about Macarena or Lona. I'm just saying that there's something a bit, there's a bit, something a bit ghoulish about a lot of the oh. um, Vox uh, mm. uh, candidates. Um, at the debate, she was reminding Moreno all the time that you know. He was in power thanks to her party. And she made it very clear that if, you know, they were to be in a position again to uh, help the PP form a government, that they want to be in that government. And she actually even wants the, she said she wants the vice premiership. Mm. Um, and just like, that's crazy to ask for. Last time they didn't even have that many votes. No, exactly. But... Who knows? I mean, we you yeah, know the polls are suggesting the shift towards, to the yeah. right and mm. and the shift to the far right, which is really surprising in Andalusia, considering it was you know a bastion of the Socialist Party mm. for so long. Um, she's also she was claiming that you know the PP hadn't complied with the commitments that it made when they formed the government. Uh, for example, 
just to give one example, Vox was calling for an end to the regional historical memory law in Andalusia that would be substituted what, with what they were calling a law of understanding. But it, it, it kind of feels like the PP sort of been fobbing off Vox, mm. which is, as you mentioned, Lily, that's one of the reasons why we've ended up in this situation with early elections, because Vox has pretty much withdrawn its support from, um, uh, <clears throat> from, the, uh, from the government. And Moreno's counter arguments uh, were interesting too. I mean, he was saying that basically, you know, Vox has a complete lack of experience mm. when it comes to actually, you know, governing, actually being in power. And also he, he made the point, which really made me laugh, of why would you want to be part of a, an institution that your party actually wants to do away with? I mean, what, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Vox wants to get rid of the, of the system of autonomous uh, regions in Spain. So it does. Uh, it's quite an interesting question. Mm. But the highlight of that second debate, and this explains my masturbation comment, mm. which wonderfully threw you as you were trying to explain to us uh, Spain's regional government <laughs> system, it was Alona being completely scandalised by the fact that there is a section about masturbation in a textbook for 11-year-olds, because that, of course, is a competencia. That's one of the powers of the regional government, is education, and they can, to a certain extent, set what's uh, in the textbooks. ¿Quiere usted leerlo? ¿Qué es lo que le está enseñando la Junta a los niños de 7 años en este momento, al de 10 años? Quiere leerlo porque a mí me da pudor. En el punto 5, ¿qué es la masturbación? She could hardly bring herself to say the word masturbation, and she was showing this textbook to uh, to uh, to Moreno as if it was the sort of you know smoking gun of you know the, the proof that uh, the, the region's being run by perverts and Imagine deviants. Imagine only having like what ten minutes max to talk <laughs> yeah. about your party's platform and bringing up school textbooks exactly it's so ridiculous children need sex education children at these days are getting sex education from porn because mm. they can get porn so easily on their mm, cell phones i mean it's not that young is it to be to be being properly taught about um it's about part sex. of biology exactly yeah and is something like that really a priority for andalusians i i wonder but it makes... I, yeah i can't see the spanish people being scandalized by that any time exactly but it's but i think it's part of their strategy is to get you talking about vox mm. which is exactly what we're doing now as vox will play a key role i think undoubtedly in whatever happens after sunday it's probably worth pointing out what some of their let's talk about policy this yeah, is what yeah. some of their policies are they want to scrap radical environmental laws to help help industry radically cut taxes to help employment they like the word radical, radical don't they yeah. no more subsidies for unions reject covid measures such as covid passports and limits on timetables for opening hours defend traditional events such as bullfights and of course take action against illegal immigration and scrap gender laws and historical memory laws so basically unwind mm. all the progressive policies of the left and the right to be honest uh, and also it's pretty amazing that she would be campaigning against climate change policies in the midst of this heat wave yeah it's not a great photo off is it when you're sweating through your clothes talking about how there's not a problem exactly it's bad enough here but imagine what that campaign's been down like down in uh, yes. in andalusia uh, elsewhere what's going to happen with ciudadanos uh, the citizens party they were practically wiped off the map at the elections in castilla leon uh, and madrid mm. um so like i said i mean if you're listening 
evening after Sunday, the outlook will be clearer, but not necessarily definitive. Yeah. Um, there could be long negotiations now to form a government and ugh, even a chance of new elections because this seems to be a thing uh, now in the new Spanish politics because we had national elections in 2011, 2015, 2016, and two in 2019. Mm, I remember watching from, yeah, from across from the afar, world. <laughs> yeah, and support for Vox crept up and up in all of those elections to uh, get us to the point where we are now. So there's this definitely this shift in Spain toward the far right, and uh, to be honest, I'm not really sure where it's taking us, especially when uh, Vox seems to have a better and better chance to get into power in a lot of places in Spain. let's move on to our second topic now they say that the Brits speak a lot about the weather but I would argue that Spaniards do too it is yeah. the only topic of conversation right now with everyone I speak to this unbearable heat How they're are you often coping? shocked <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's like it's cold in winter and it's really hot in, <laughs> in summer but actually this is unusual how are you guys coping in your flat it's hot <laughs> we don't have air conditioning we've got two fans but we're making do <laughs> yeah the nights are so bad at the moment I, I mean I'm actually leaving the windows closed at night uh, and normally, you you know, you open them in the morning and let some cool air in. But this is just it's just not happening. We've it's, got... it's almost impossible to move in this heat. It's just so hot. It's 15 of 17 regions were on alert on Thursday due to the high temperatures. I mean, at least in Madrid, it's a dry heat. I'm glad I'm not on the coast. I was talking to someone in Barcelona this week and they were saying they literally have to change their shirts uh, a couple of times a day. Uh, your tips for coping with the heat, Lily? You're Australian. Come well, on. Well, in Australia, <laughs> if you're... If you're lucky enough to be by the coast, you usually would go for a dip in the ocean before or after work if possible. That's impossible for us here in landlocked Madrid, unless you've got a pool near you like you do. Um, <laughs> but I would say wear lots of light natural fabrics like cotton or linen. Avoid synthetics like polyester or viscose. Don't move much Don't if you move. can help it. <laughs> Drink lots of water and take cold showers. I mean, there's nothing you can do really. I, like doing the dishes is the hardest thing, I think, because you just... Doing the dishes? Yeah, because you're it's hot water. I mean, unless okay. you've got a fancy dishwasher, <laughs> it must be nice. But a, I'm sitting there with like standing that, yeah. there trying to wash them with hot water and just melting yeah i mean my my tip with aircon and my tip is always just put it on the lowest fan setting and set it at 26 because otherwise because i hate that sensation of being really really hot but then getting really cold mm. from from being blasted very natural yeah and I, I always like to sleep with a fan on rather than the aircon or I don't, I don't there's been sleep. so many articles this week about like how yeah. to maximize your air conditioning <laughs> For people outside of Spain, for context, the maximum temperatures have been ranging from between 37 and 42 degrees. Today, it's 41 in Madrid. In some areas, it's been 10 degrees higher than the average. It's also super dangerous, particularly for elderly people and for children. I think if my grandparents lived in Sevilla or, uh, you know, Granada, I'd be seriously worried about them. I saw a video on social media this week that had shown from El Mundo showing birds falling from trees. It's so oh, yeah. No, it's awful. Yeah, experts are warning that this kind of weather event will be more and more usual as early as June in Spain due to climate change, which is which is pretty terrifying. Um, Graham Keeley, who we mentioned before, he was just written a really interesting story for Euronews. And yeah, he paints quite an apocalyptic picture of us all sheltering behind shutters. And uh, as you mentioned, like baby chicks tumbling from nests to their deaths mm. because of the heat. 
Uh, and of course, he points to the forest fires, which we yes. were talking about last week mm. and are a side effect of these episodes. What I find also really shocking is that Spain right now is burning gas for about half of its uh, energy needs. So it's this sort of vicious cycle where we're all turning on the aircon, so we need more energy. The uh, There's no wind, so the wind turbines are not mm. spinning. Uh, solar panels lose a lot of efficiency above a temperature of about 25 degrees um, so yeah so let's just burn coal and so we're just, uh, you know, natural gas begetting itself circle exactly horrible yeah energies. it's really 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 scary there was a few stories related to the weather that caught my eye in fact this one about the Porta del Sol uh, I pitched this to the Times and they took this in the Times I like this one um, the central square is being refurbished again just 12 years after the last work finished and this photo has been released of what's going to look like there's just a sea of concrete mm. there's just going to be nothing there I don't understand why they can't put put a fountain in there and they, they can't plant trees because it's too shallow and there's the you know this train station underneath the square and whatever but Use a plant. Can they do the pot? pot. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's not hard. There is a fountain there. They're not going to get rid of that. Yeah, they're going to get rid of it. Yeah, they're going to get rid of the fountain. The 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 the, the image, and we'll put it in our Twitter, uh, uh, in our Twitter thread of um, stuff from the podcast. It's just so barren and bare. Oh man, it's already just really inhospitable. Yeah, it's just awful. It's almost like they don't want people to be in there. It's just to make it a place. It's a quick stop. Exactly, make it a place to walk through. Okay, the country's weather service, Amit, says the worst of it will be over tomorrow. Yeah, well, it's a bit like it's a bit like I was saying with the elections. If you're living, if you're listening on Monday, then you probably <laughs> it's all over. Uh, yeah, exactly. Everything's over. The elections are over, and the uh, heat wave is hopefully hopefully over. Um, there's also sorry to be so Madrid centric um, this time around, but this kind of chaos at the Madrid swimming pools as well. The municipal pools open super early, which like mid-May which is obviously great because by May we were already in a with a lot of hot weather but they've got this turns out they've got this new online ticketing system and according to press reports it's nigh on impossible to get in if you don't have a ticket already so tourists are turning up and even locals are turning up who didn't know about the system and just can't get in which Mm. is insane and then to top it off the Madrid region has its own swimming pools but it's not opening them until June the 24th Mm. when the schools break up because they claim that they've got staffing problems and they just they just can't open it beforehand uh, which is absolutely bonkers. I mean, everyone needs somewhere to go and cool off. You need a friend with a pool. Hello. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my friend Simon comes in. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to our interview. Now, eagle-eared listeners may remember last week uh, we interviewed journalist Andres Rubio and I also happened to publish an interview with him in the Times Uh, well this week the same thing has happened again now (laughs) I'm not planning on making a habit of doing this but I had already planned to interview illustrator Holly Navarro for the podcast and then I just thought I wonder if the Times would like this too and they did so you can go and check that print interview out it'll be in our big Twitter thread about today's show but hey Holly deserves lots of interviews her work is great 
Um, several years ago she came up with a project that's focused on Spanish grandparents and the work that they have to do to help bring up their grandchildren. Uh, she has created a series of cartoons called Abueland and in them you can see for example a super grand flying in food in Tupperware boxes an infirm senior alongside a toddler both of them struggling with the stairs uh, or a godfather style figure slipping sweets into his grandson's pocket all in all they are great so I caught up with Holly to find out more about her work. Well, as we were going to dub over this interview anyway, I was already thinking about doing it separately with Holly in one place and me in the other. But in the end, we haven't got a choice because poor Holly has just tested positive for COVID. So I am in my house and she is in hers. Now, in the interests of full disclosure, we're not just friends, but also neighbours. So Holly is downstairs on the first floor and I'm here on the fourth Holly, how are you? <laughs> Muy bien, Simon. I'm very well, Simon, despite the COVID. I'm feeling okay, and I'm very grateful for this opportunity to speak about this project, Abueland. Well, you're very welcome. It seems like there's another wave coming, right? You guys are in a super spreader wedding. A big wave, that's right. You start to live your life again. The restrictions are not what they used to be, but... But yes, we were at a wedding and more than 20 of us have ended up infected. It's been a bit of a drama among our group of friends. All right, well, let's hope you all get better soon. Now, I thought of you for this podcast because thanks to your Abueland project, I think you've got a lot to tell us about bringing up children in Spain. And as the father of two young kids, it's a very interesting topic for me. I've always seen, uh, in the 22 years I've been here, I've always seen a lot of differences in terms of customs, attitudes and so on. But it's very interesting that these customs in Spain have inspired you to create this um, project. So, first of all, let's look at the basics. Tell us, what is Abueland and how did it come about as a project? <laughs> Well, I've been working on the Abueland project for more than three years, and it started when I became mother. During my maternity leave, I began to see grandparents everywhere, and suddenly I began to observe that they were taking care of their grandchildren while their parents were working. It was what you would see all over the city, but despite this, no one was talking about it, or not talking about it enough anyway. So I felt the need to talk about it and draw attention to the fact that seniors were propping us up. They were taking care of our kids while we were working. I felt like this was a massive issue and that it was really important to draw attention to. I used the narrative of illustration because it was a gentle way of getting the message across, but at the same time to make a social critique of this moment and the system. So it began with a walk and an observation. Then lots of research. I read a lot about the work situation in our country. I had conversations with friends. Because it's a situation that affects us every day and concerns us. So I wanted to portray it and put it into words. And as for your personal history, you're a journalist and an illustrator. And you had been working in the social sector which I suppose uh, would have influenced you with this project. 
Eso es, durante más de 10 años he trabajado... I was working in the social sector for more than 10 years in NGOs. And my experience of the more theoretical side of caregiving, it actually saw me take a career break when I gave birth and became a mother, due to the need I felt to stop and commit full-time to bringing up my child. That whole theoretical part that I brought from my work in NGOs emerged at that moment. At the time of becoming a mother, my passion as an illustrator and my career as a communicator within the social sector, it all came together. I think that's a very creative moment when you're pregnant, and that's how it happened. Listening to that passion and starting to tell the story from there. Well, as you know, I've spent a lot of time in Spain, but it still surprises me to see these grandparents in the streets on such a regular basis with their grandkids. In fact, there's one specific guy who I always see in our neighborhood, and it looks like the kids should be looking after him and not the other way around, just because he looks, you know, he looks so frail. Uh, but you see this a lot, and it really stands out to me because it's very different if you compare it to a country such as the United Kingdom. Obviously, there are always exceptions, but the grandparents are not so involved in the day-to-day -day care of the kids. And also here, I mean, if you look at it, the childcare centers are pretty cheap. Here in Madrid, you'd probably pay in a month what you'd pay in a week in England, and that's not including uh, public childcare centers. Mm -hmm which are even cheaper. Um, mm -hmm. Well, and also in London, it would be even more money. And what's more, the kids here start school age two or three. In the UK, it's four or five when they start. So why is there such a need for support from grandparents here in Spain? And, you know, why is it so common? That analysis is super interesante, Simon. Super interesante. That analysis is really interesting, Simon, because Aboland is a very local look at the situation. The cartoons come from a personal point of view, a personal concern, like the one that you're talking about. I was seeing grandparents who weren't really in a condition to be taking care of children for such long days. That's where my interest began, on a personal level, and I was portraying what I was seeing around me. But then it's really interesting to make comparisons with other countries. There's a big influence here in the way that we make family bonds. It's a very cultural thing, a Mediterranean thing. Because, of course, it doesn't just happen here, it happens in Italy too. Our family nucleus includes our mothers and fathers. We still live close to one another. In fact, the purest Abueland is on display in villages. Their parents take for granted that the grandparents will collect their kids from school. They feed them lunch and they drop them off at their house. This hasn't changed. And we still have these links in the Mediterranean. Other friends I have who live in the United States, they say that things are nothing like that over there. They explain that here we live far away from our families and have no option then to do things on our own. When I interviewed you for The Times, I included in the article the fact that there are a lot of people in Spain who have to work until very late. There's a lot of people who have an official timetable that finishes at 7pm. They still have a two-hour lunch break, but they don't actually finish work at 7pm. I know lots of cases of people who officially 
finish work at 7 p.m. but they don't get home until 8 or 9 o'clock. And if you've got little kids and the crash closes at 6 p.m. or you send your kid to extracurricular activities like sport until 6 p.m., that still leaves a lot of hours to cover if you're both working. Mm-hmm. And how many couples do you know where one isn't working? Everyone in Spain mm-hmm. seems to be in that situation. Claro. Claro, entonces es un drama y se, y se, y se privatizan los cuidados. Eh, Simon, cada vez más vemos a personas... That's right, it's a dramatic situation and we are privatizing the way we take care of people. We see other people taking care of our children too because we just don't have the time. There's another major issue here which Abuelan talks about and that's the chains of caregiving. Other women, because it is practically all women in the sector, other women from other countries are taking care of our children. We need to take stock of this. The fact that in many cases these women themselves have their own children and their mothers are probably taking care of them. We see a chain that is repeating itself and that we are contributing to. What we have to avoid is looking away and say, okay, well, this is happening. And on the one hand, we need to document this. We have to consider what impact it is having when we work such long hours on a global level. It's important to reflect on this, but without laying the blame. It's not something that we can solve. But what we can do is reconsider our working hours. With the cartoons, what I'm trying to do is to leave them open to interpretation, so that whoever is looking at them can analyze them from their own perspective. I think this is really important with Abueland, that there be no judgment. In fact, often the feedback that I get includes things that I hadn't even thought about myself. And that for me is wonderful to get a new narrative from the illustration. El que bueno, pues eh, ya te digo, no no haya como como un juicio tan claro, ¿no? Fantastic. Well, I think that your work is really interesting, Holly. I love the book. I love the cartoons. And we will all be waiting with bated breath to see what your next project is. Let's see if there's an Abueland 2, because there should be. Um, thank you so much for your time, Holly. And the most important thing of all, get better soon. Thanks so much, Simon. I think that this wave is a little more gentle, and it hasn't stopped us from seeing each other today and to chat. So I think this will be over soon. Absolutely. Let's see when you can get back down to the swimming pool here in the building. I shall, I shall see you down there. Un abrazo, Simon. Un gusto hablar contigo. Thanks so much again, Holly. Un abrazo. So great to hear from Holly there. Um, I'm pleased to say that she is getting better with her uh, oh, COVID. <laughs> yeah. And thank you so much to uh, Tiffany Bayliss, who kindly voiced uh, the English version of the interview. Um, it was a beautiful story. And they're very, very cute illustrations. You guys should check out the book. They really are, aren't they? And she's just, she is really the nicest person in the world. I know we said this last week about... Andres is just like, oh, he's the nicest person in the world. But she well, would... let's just have all our guests will be just the sweetest people in the world. Well, that's what I was thinking. I think next week we need to interview a complete <laughs> b- oh, No, no, our criteria is you have to be a nice person. Just for balance. We yeah. need to bring in a real no. hijo de puta. So let's have our quick look at Spanish news in other media. I was 
particularly interested this week to see uh, an article in Politico. Uh, it was Spain's pop polarizer, the unlikely rise of Isabel Díaz Ayuso. Uh, the subhead was the president of the Madrid region has found success by never shying from a fight or the far right. It's by Aitor Hernández Morales in Madrid. Uh, and I really recommend you check it out. Isabel Díaz Ayuso, of course, is the popular party regional premier in Madrid. Um, it's a really good profile. Also, we should mention our fellow podcasts out there. This week, I'd like to recommend La Sobre Mesa podcast from Alan Maguire and Owen Gilmartin. Each week, they take an in-depth look at Spanish history and politics. Highly recommended. And so, all that is left now is Lily's roundup of other news that caught our eye. Take it away, Lily. Okay, so Spain's health minister, Carolina Darius, has announced everyone in Spain will be able to have a fourth COVID vaccine or a second booster available from November. There's been a little increase in cases this week. The World Health Organization say 36,000 with 131 deaths. On monkeypox, Minister Darius says there are currently 323 cases in the country and that 5,000 vaccine doses will be brought in. Should we be worried about monkeypox? Are you worried about monkeypox? No, okay. (laughs) I'm more worried about the heat. The Algerian president has dismissed his finance minister in this ongoing diplomatic and industrial dispute between Algeria and Spain over Western Sahara. The minister was ultimately responsible for the freeze on imports and exports to Spain and it's believed by diplomats that there are concerns within the Algerian government that his actions or the signing off on that decision could damage relations with the EU. So, the ending of the Good Friendship Treaty may be wound back in in coming weeks, and I find this story, even though it seems like it's bubbling in the background, I find it really interesting. Former US President Barack Obama has been in the South this week for a digital innovation conference, which your wife Rosa was at. <laughs> yeah, Did she, she meet was, him? Yeah. No, she didn't, know. I think she would have done everything she could to meet him, but no, it wasn't on the cards. Oh, well, he, uh, he met with Pedro Sanchez, I think they did a talk together and he also posed with a photo with Juan Moreno. So it felt like there was a vying for, you know, trying to see who could get a shot with him for the Andalusian (laughs) election. And lastly, this really interesting story that you found, Simon, or that you brought to our attention. A defunct airline's branded napkins have turned up in a Barcelona kebab shop 10 years after the airline's last flight. This is what the audience wants. News from kebab shops. Oh my God, this is what we want. It's a real mystery. Span Air stopped operating in 2012 after a tragic accident at Madrid's airport, which killed 154 people. 10 years later... Paper napkins stamped with its logo are being used by this kebab shop. The Spanish daily ABC reports the serviettes are only used by the restaurant for takeaway and no one in the shop can explain how they ended up there. Absolutely. It's nuts. I love it. It's really interesting. And it actually reminds me, every time I go to the Rodilla for about two years now, they've been giving out napkins advertising Horse Week. (laughs) I'm like, like, when is Horse Week (laughs) coming? That's great. Oh, 
Okay, well, let's wrap it up there then. Our second episode of La Portada podcast. This episode was recorded on June the 17th in the city of Madrid. Your hosts were Lily Mayers and me, Simon Hunter. And providing technical support and armchair punditry was Connor Doyle. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you haven't already, please subscribe and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes are out every Friday. And if you want to share your thoughts, ideas, questions or suggestions with us, our email is always open to you, laportadapod at gmail.com. So please tell your friends, get the word out that there is a new podcast in town. Hasta la semana que viene. Hasta luego.